If you join me in Bible study tonight, please open up your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, which means what? The Lord exalts. Does the Lord exalt the guilty? No. And that's what Jeremiah has a lot to say. Would you like God to be your God? Would you like to be his children? Then you need to be his servants. But you get to choose. And if we start <clears throat> looking at Jeremiah chapter 5, we notice that God is prophesying judgment to come upon the children of Israel. Verse 6, he talks about a lion, then a wolf, then a leopard that's going to tear them, that's going to shred them, that's going to send them into other nations. And we come to the end of verse 6, and it tells us why. Is it because God's just a rotten father? No. Why is it then? Because their transgressions are many. And their backslidings have what? Increase. God has sent prophet after prophet to call them to repentance. Have they been repenting? No, they've been getting worse and worse. So we come to verse 7 which says, How shall I pardon you for this? God would like to pardon them. He would like to forgive them. He would like to bless them. But how can he do that when they refuse to repent? And their iniquities and transgressions and backslidings get worse and worse. What do they do to the prophets that God sends to them? They kill them. So God says, how shall I pardon you for this? If I wanted to pardon you, you won't let me. He says, your children have what? Forsaken me. Now do you see why this is going to take a long time to deal with this verse? Your children have forsaken me. But they call him the Lord. They say he's their God. They say they're saved and going to heaven. And God says, you've forsaken me. What does forsaken mean? You turned your backs on me. You've left me. And it's sworn by those that are not gods. What does he mean by those that are not gods? Idols. When I had fed them to the full, then they committed adultery. How does God use the word adultery here? As idolatry. And assemble themselves by troops in the harlots' houses. Assemble themselves by troops means they didn't go in the dark of night ashamed of where they were going. This becomes the regular assembly points is these places of idol worship. So let's break this down a little bit. When God says, how shall I pardon them for this? Did he ever tell them what he would do if they forsook him, if they turned away from him, they grabbed on to pagan idols and started walking in the ways of the world? Yeah, that's Deuteronomy 28. And if God says, if you do this, then I will do that, and they do this, what must God do? What he promised he would do. Because God does not change. God does not lie. Deuteronomy chapter 28. 
Let's look at verse 20. Doesn't this knock the notion in the head that God just loves and saves everybody? It absolutely does. Because God's saying, I want to forgive you. God says, I want to forgive you, but you won't let me. Is this the same as 2 Peter chapter 3, where God says, I wish that everyone would be saved? And the next word is, but. But so God's heart, his desire is to save everyone, and we won't let him save us. Do you want to be included in that group? No. You want to be included in the group that God does save. Not the ones who say we don't need you. But look at Deuteronomy 28 verse 20. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have what? Forsaken me. It's not like God didn't tell them before they crossed the river into the promised land that forsaking God would result in what? Blessing or cursing? Who knows? Cursing. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 29, starting in verse 24. Why does God warn us first and tell us what will happen if we go astray? He doesn't want us to go astray. What does it say in Amos 3, 7? Surely the Lord our God does nothing unless he first reveals it through his servants, the prophets. So he warns us ahead of time. Choose life or death. But oh, by the way, if you choose death, don't be surprised when you die. Deuteronomy 29, starting in verse 24. All nations would say, why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? Does God judge the nation when he's a little unhappy with them? He waits until they want, till they push the boundaries so far that his anger can only be described as a great anger. Then people would say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers which he made with them and he brought them out of the land of Egypt. So the answer to the question, why would the Lord do this to the land of Israel? The answer is because they have forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Verse 26, for they went and served other gods and worshipped them. Gods that they did not know and they had not given to them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against this land to bring on it every curse that is written in this book. And in which book are those curses written? Deuteronomy 28, which included verse 36, that you're going to go into captivity. Deuteronomy 31, verse 16. And would you believe in Jeremiah, Israel has the gumption to say, God, you're not fair for punishing us. How many of you had strict parents who said, if you don't stop that, I'm going to beat the tar out of you? And you still didn't stop it, and then they beat the tar out of you. And you were going, gee, I'm surprised, right? It's kind of like, well, well, you warned me. Deuteronomy 31, verse 16. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 16. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, meaning what? You'll die first before they even go into the land. And his people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners. Who are the gods of the foreigners? Baal, Ishtar, Molech, etc. Dagon, the fish that can't stand upright. He's falling on his face. You remember him? Of the land where they go to be among them and they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. If you break the covenant, you refuse to follow the commandments, what does God say you have done? You have forsaken him. Can you say, this is my Lord, but I'm not going to do anything he tells me to do, and have the Lord say, well, that's okay. What does it say in Luke 6.46? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and what? And not do what I say. But that's in the New Testament. Yep, God does not change. Go to the book of Joshua. When we come to the book of Joshua, Moses has died. And the children of Israel have crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. They conquer it. They settle it. When they come into the land, the crops are ripe in the field. The houses are standing. The trees are full of fruit. And God says, this is all for you. And then how do they respond? Joshua chapter 24. Start in verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him. How? In sincerity and in truth. Does that mean with empty words? No, it does not. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you shall dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How many of you have that written on a plaque or a banner in your own home? I know we do. Many of us do. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should not, that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. What's that mean? We're not going to do it. We will not forsake the Lord. We will not serve other gods. Uh-uh, not us. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt. And in verse 16, that word served, do you remember what that Hebrew word is? Avad, A-V-A-D. And it means work. To obey, to do what it tells you to do. To follow their commandments rather than the Lord's commandments. They say, we won't do that. For because the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt. From the house of bondage you did those great signs in our sight. What signs are they talking about? Ten plagues. 
parting the Red Sea, destroying the Egyptian army, manna from heaven, water from the rock, great signs, and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwell in the land. Why did he do that? Why did the Lord drive the Amorites out of the land of Israel? In Genesis chapter 15, he said he wasn't going to do that until the sins of the Amorites were complete, full. Until they were so full of iniquity and sin that God couldn't stand them in the land anymore. So he's driven them out because of their iniquity, because their idolatry and their sinfulness. What happens if Israel starts to emulate them? He will cast them out too. But they end verse 18 for saying, We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Now go to Judges chapter. That could be a 10. Uh oh. It is. Judges chapter 10, verse 10. That's not very far after Joshua, is it? Judges chapter 10, verse 10 says, And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. Didn't they just say, We'll never do that? So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians? Did he do that? Yes, he did. And from the Amorites, did he do that? Yes, he did. And for the people of Ammon, yeah, remember Son and Og, those seal, those big old guys, yeah. And from the Philistines, also the Sidonians and the Malachites and Mayanites oppressed you, and you cried out to me and I delivered you from their hand. Yet. What does yet mean? Despite all this. Despite all that I have done for you, despite all this, yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you've chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. <clears throat> How much help are they going to get from those pagan gods? None. What does God want them to learn from that? They should not turn to idols and expect them to do what? To deliver them. They should repent and turn back to the true and living God, and he will deliver them. <clears throat> so when the children of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Can you still hear God saying, well, duh. Do to us whatever seems best to you, only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead, and the children of Israel assembled together and encamped in Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Let's go on to the next reference, which is 1 Samuel chapter 8. Because you know God does deliver Israel when they repent. They turn back to him. And fortunately, they then stay righteous forever, don't they? Well, no. First Samuel, 
chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. What you're noticing is every time he mentions the people of Israel, you've forsaken me. Every time he mentions the people of Israel that they've forsaken me. There's an element of they've taken his name in vain. There's an element they've taken his name in vain. They made an oath to God on his own name and then turned away. And so they're supposed to be a light to all the other nations around by being different, by being a peculiar people. Yeah. They are adopting the customs and the whatever you want to call it, of the other people, of yep. the people around them. And God's saying, you've forsaken me by taking my name in vain. Yep. And if they are portraying to the nations around them that you can sin all you want to and God will still bless you, what would that teach the nations? Well, we can just do whatever we want here. Why should we serve this God? That God is no different from the gods of the pagans, right? So that's why God has, I mean, and it makes sense in Psalm 119 when it says, they perverted your law as void, now it's time for you to act. Right. Yeah. So let's not talk about the world today. So what does that mean? Is it almost time for God to act? Yeah. Is it almost time for God to act? We can see it on the horizon, can't we? Judgment is coming. 1 Samuel 8, starting in verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. That word reject is what? Maas. M-A-apostrophe-A-S. It means they have not abhorred or despised you, but they have abhorred or despised me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me, and have served other gods, so they are doing to you. Now therefore heed their voice, however you shall solemnly forewarn them, and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So whenever you're tempted to whine about our current government, remember, we could have had God as our government. Don't you wish we'd have chosen better? First Samuel chapter 12, verses 9 to 10. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them to the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Chatzor, into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And when they cried out to the Lord and said, We've sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtoreths, but now deliver us from the hand of our enemies. And we will serve you. Did God deliver them? Yes. Did they serve him? For a little while. For a little while. And then they did what? And they turned right back to the old ways. Does the New Testament say we're supposed to learn lessons from the old? Does it then teach us that God is best pleased with us when we forsake him and break his commandments? Yes. 
Or is it just the opposite? Does the Lord say, if you love me, comma, keep my commandments? Go to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 11. First Kings chapter 11. Starting in verse 29. Now it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite met him on the way. And he had clothed himself with a new garment and the two men were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. How many tribes were there? Twelve. He's going to tear ten of them out of Solomon's hand and give them to Jeroboam. Why? First it says, But you shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me. And worship Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon. And have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments, as did his father David. Who was it that let God down like this? Solomon. They worshipped the goddess of the Sidonians, the god of the Moabites, the god of the people of Ammon. Anyone but the Lord our God. Any God will do. First Kings chapter 18. One of my favorite chapters to teach on in Israel. When you're standing at the Muchraka up at the top of Mount Carmel and looking at that little stream way off in the distance and knowing that's where Elijah kept sending the prophets of Baal to go get water. Mm-mm-mm. First Kings 18, 18. This is Elijah talking to Ahab, king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He says, And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Understand that the word Baal means husband. So the betrothed of God is referring to pagan idols as husband. How do you think that makes God feel? Betrayed? Go to 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. Verses 16 to 17. Thus says the Lord... Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read. Because. 
What's just happened? They just found the book of the law. It had been lost. They had forgotten that it even existed. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. Does that tell you why Jerusalem's going to get totally destroyed by the Babylonians? It does. Continuing, Deuteronomy chapter 6. So you're going to say, Wayne, you're going the other way. Yeah, that's because I want to look at another word in detail. What does God mean when he says, you have forsaken me? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. If you remember, in the verse we started with tonight, in verse 7, God says, I fed you, you got fat, then you turned away. Look at what he says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 10. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, Hewn out wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full. Then beware. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. That's when you're hungry it's easy to call on the Lord. When you're in trouble you're in danger it's easy to call on the Lord. But when you get comfortable. Then people start forgetting about the Lord. So verse 13 says, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. Can you fear the Lord your God and not serve him? No, they go hand in hand, don't they? And shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth, you shall not tempt, it's actually test, the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massah. You shall diligently or surely or actually do it. Keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. That. That means here comes the promise for obedience. The blessings. That it may be well with you. That you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. To cast out all your enemies from before you. As the Lord has spoken. Obedience brings what? Blessing. Disobedient brings judgment. Simple concept. Turn to Deuteronomy 8. If you remember, Deuteronomy 8 verse 1 doesn't actually 
translate as well as it could be. Where it says every commandment, it's actually all of the commandment. Referring back to Deuteronomy 6.1, that the commandment of God is a whole, made up of many parts. But they're inseparable. Unlike the Messianic leader we came across in Tennessee who said, well, yeah, yeah, Wayne, but God understand the commandments are of three types. There's the moral, they still exist, but the civil and ceremonial, they were destroyed. Can you divide God's commandments into sections? Mm. So all of the commandments which I command you today, you must be careful to observe. What's it mean, what does it mean to observe? To look at? No, it means to actually do. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you will remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you. Test you about what? Algebra? Geometry? No. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Who quotes that in Matthew 4.4? Yeshua himself. Man lives by what? Some of the words. The words that you like best? No. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And then in verse 11, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by, not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. When your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. When your heart is lifted up. What's that mean? Lifted up in what? Pride. Pride. Arrogance. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Uh, so let us go back to Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 7. When I fed them to the full, then they committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the harlots' houses. Do you see the pain in the Lord's voice? Now look back to the start of verse 7. How shall I pardon you for this? What if God does not bring judgment? What will that cause the children of Israel to think? That we got away with it. We can get away with it. There's no need to repent. God will bless us anyway. God says I cannot do that. It says in verse 8. They were like well fed lusty stallions. Each one neighed after his neighbor's wife. Again using the illustration of idolatry as adultery. 
Because which of the foreign gods did they pick when they went into the land? It was all of them. They weren't picky. That's what it means by after is neighbors by everyone. Verse 9, shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? That's got to make Daniel stand up and say, I told you to turn to Psalm 119, right? Verse 126. Psalm 119, verse 126. Might as well keep your finger there. Psalm 119, verse 126. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. That's not talking about the world. Of course, the world doesn't follow God. This is when those who call themselves his children say that the law is void. What is the world's religious temperature like today? <laughs> Have they regarded God's law as void? I even heard on YouTube today from non-religious weather forecasters that the weather that's coming is truly out of the tribulation, that ab abominations are coming. That if you think it's hot now, just wait. When it says they have regarded your law as void, but doesn't the New Testament tell us that our faith makes the law void? Oh. oh, let's go to Romans 3.31. Guess what you've got Must be the wrong faith. Must be. Romans 3.31. Do we then make void the Torah through faith? Answer? Majinoito. Certainly not. In the King James, God forbid. In my translation, no way, Jose. On the contrary, we establish the law. That word establish is an engineering term to make it strong. To make its purpose full. So our faith does not make the commandments of God irrelevant. It gives meaning to them. Because without faith it's what? Impossible to please God. Find me someplace in the scripture where it says faith or keeping the commandments of God. Be looking a long time. Be looking a long time. It's always an end. But doesn't God show mercy to everyone? Is that not his promise? Let's go back to Exodus 20 and see. Let's go to Exodus 20. I don't want to take this topic too far because it's coming up again shortly. And we will go all over. But let's just look at Exodus 20 for a moment. This is from Mount Sinai. Start in verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. The words before me mean literally in my face. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that's in heaven above us, in the earth beneath us, in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Do we not just see another verse that said, I'm a jealous God? He means it. 
visiting the iniquity, the avon, of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to what? To thousands of generations, to those who love me and keep my commandments. That's always been the Lord's position. Would you like my mercy? Then love me and keep my commandments. It's not an either or. Ties right back to Moses in Exodus 3, which was a yeah, a share, a yeah, which means I will be whom I will be. And does God not expand on that in Deuteronomy to say, if you're my children, I will bless you. And if you're my enemies, look out. Right. God will in no wise <coughs> find innocent the guilty, right? <coughs> Goodness. Thank you. So if you say, I love the Lord, but I will not keep his commandments, what does he say about that in John chapter 14? Let's go up and look. What's he say? That you don't understand what love is. You don't love me as God defines love. We all know John 14, 15, but since it's our slogan, if you love me, comma, keep my commandments. But then go down to verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23 in the red, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words you hear is not mine, but the fathers who sent me. So when people today preach, all you have to do is love God and your neighbor and you can break all of God's commandments. They don't understand what the love of God is. This is funny. They claim, I don't have to obey the Old Testament. I obey the commands of Jesus. And if you look at the teachings of Jesus when he took various commandments, yeah. he didn't tell them, don't commit adultery. He told them, as a matter of fact, don't even think about it. Right. right. He fills up their understanding. It's and, not and just... Saying, oh, we keep the commandments of Jesus... But we never could keep the commandments of God. And there, you know, the ones that Jesus expounds on are much harder to literally keep mm -hmm. than the ones that Moses wrote yep. to the people. Let's look at red words. Red words mean they came right out of the Lord's mouth, right? I thought they were read to us. <laughs> no. Matthew 5.18 For assuredly I say to you till heaven and earth pass away one jot which is the smallest letter or one tittle which is the smallest piece of a letter will by no means pass from the Torah till all is fulfilled till all prophecy has been fulfilled we come to the new heavens and the new earth. So what did he tell us to observe? 
Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments. I've actually read commentaries that say these commandments does not refer to the law in the verse before. It refers to new commandments that he hasn't given us yet. <clears throat> no. I don't think so. Yes, ma'am. Till all is fulfilled. That word is genitai and it means till all prophecy has come to pass. Yeah, it's in verse 18 you have Hebrew parallelism till all is fulfilled is parallel to till heaven and earth pass away. So if heaven and earth have passed away, then all has been fulfilled. Is heaven and earth still here? Yep. If you're not sure, everybody stand up and jump up and down a minute. So long as heaven and earth is still here, then all has not come to pass. Yes, Daniel. You read one of the least smart commentaries. It actually said. It actually said. Heaven and earth have passed away. Heaven and earth have passed away. Because. Because. The commandments are abolished. Because the commandments have been abolished. Yep. So therefore, heaven and earth have passed away. We're going to come to that actually as we come a few verses further. People define forever in the Old Testament is for a while. And their proof is because God commandments have been done away with, forever didn't mean forever. And it was along that same line of logic, but I was, it was one of those I couldn't read anymore. Yeah. My mind, I felt like my brain was just being sucked out. The mind just explodes, yeah. yeah. So hang in there. <laughs> We're going to take, take a look at that word olam when we come to it. Yeah. <laughs> Back to Jeremiah chapter 5. Verse 10. Is my purpose to mock other ministries? The answer is no. My purpose is to get people to think about the scriptures and compare what they're being taught to the scriptures. And what if what they're being taught is not agreeing with the scriptures? Then they're listening to a true teacher or false teacher. Which is it? False teacher. Run. Verse 10. Go up on her walls and destroy. This is literally to Babylon. God's calling out to Babylon. Go up on her walls and destroy. But do not make a complete end. Take away her branches. For they are not the Lord's. Hmm. Pruning away fruitless branches. What does that make you think of? Let's go to John chapter 15 for one. Initially made you think of Romans 11, but that comes second in my notes. First John 15, then Romans 11. John 15 verses 1 through 6. Every Shabbat we talk about the true vine, who that is. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. What does the vine dresser do? 
Vine dresser takes care of the vine and clips off those parts of the vine that are not productive, right? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Notice the branches were in Messiah. We're not talking about people that didn't think they were saved, that didn't think they were part of the congregation. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that is to make it grow and bear more fruit. That is the chastisement. Every child gets chastised, uh huh, so they become more fruitful. But there are sucker branches on them, just like on tomatoes. There are little, little vine tendrils that grow out, and they don't ever do anything. Uh huh, what happens to those? They get pruned off, yep. Verse 3 says, you are already clean because the words I spoke to you abide in me. What's that mean? To abide in me. Stay. Be steadfast. Don't depart. You can't abide in Messiah if you're not in Messiah, right? So he's talking to those that claim to be believers, that claim to be in Messiah. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself... Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. I have people that say that means they'll get a little less blessings when they get to heaven is that what it means when they're cast in the fire and burned no so abide in Messiah look at Romans 11 yes Paul talks about it too Paul spent a couple of years learning from the Lord what do you think they were talking about the weather no some of these important concepts Romans 11 starting in verse 16 For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, talking about Jewish people that lost faith, did not abide. And you being a wild olive tree were grafted in amongst them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. What's the fatness of the olive tree? It's the oil. What does the olive oil signify? The Holy Spirit. So if you've been saved, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, do not boast against the branches. How many denominations today are opposed to Israel who push the BDS process? Mm, it's sad. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say branches were broken off that it might be grafted in. Well said, meaning, yeah, that's true. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by what? By faith. Do not be haughty, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Meaning what? Stand strong in your faith for what happens if you lose your faith and turn away. Same thing happened to the natural branches. They get cut off and cast into the fire. 
Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell, that is, those who turned away, those who had no faith, severity. But towards you, goodness. Does that sound like a yeah, I share a yeah, I will be whom I will be? If you continue in his goodness, that is, if you abide in faith, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in belief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Um, What's that? In Hebrews, you, you get the concept that a person can be born again and can reject Messiah, but he can never be born again again. This, is that grafting them in again? Is that talking about people who who have really never, they were God's chosen people, but they've never received Messiah. It's, it, that, I mean, well, it's people that had faith in God for a while and then lost the faith and then found the faith again, probably through Messiah. So they were never really born again. I would say they were never really born again, correct. I mean, growing up, I, I sat in services where people were born again once a week. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, they yeah, that repented, doesn't... They, they sinned, they repented, they sinned, they repented, they sinned, they repented. And every week they'd be down at the altar crying because they had fallen again and they were getting saved again. So did they ever really repent? I, I mean, they seemed to be sincere about their sin, but I don't think they ever understood that God empowers us to turn from sin. I, it was just, I, I, can't, I can't explain. I wasn't a believer at that time. I was just a kid. But I was watching these people, and I was thinking, this doesn't make sense. You, you, you can't turn your life over to God once a week. Yeah, it sounds like they never did turn their lives over to God. Know how to? And that was the problem I had as a child. I would like to be saved, and I would go down to the altar and pray whatever they said to pray, and I read the Bible every day. I prayed every night, uh, but the, I mean, the transaction was never made. I simply wasn't born again. Right. Uh, I, and I wanted to be, but I didn't understand at the time that. God has a time appointed for you. It, it gets complicated, but if you're if you're going to be on the on the stony ground and you're going to sprout up and die, that's not your time. Right. He has a time when you'll be on fertile ground. That's your time. So, anyway. Very good. Back to Jeremiah chapter five. See, look at my lack of faith. I thought we'd never get through verse 7. Here we are, we're up to verse 11 already. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Why is he put it that way? Two different houses, because Israel was divided into two nations after the death of Solomon. That was the ten tribes that were taken away. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously with me, says the Lord. Oh my, oh my. When Israel broke away from Jude after the death of Solomon, did they ever serve the Lord? 
And Sir Jeroboam set up two pagan altars with golden calf at each altar at the beginning, saying that if I don't, the people go down to Jerusalem to worship God, and they'll want to be one kingdom again. Did it go downhill after that? Yeah, went downhill after that. But when it says, they have dealt very treacherously with me, says the Lord, means they call the Lord a liar. Let's go to Numbers chapter 23. Numbers chapter 23. Numbers chapter 23. We shouldn't be shocked by this. If God says, my covenant I will not break nor alter the word that's gone out of my mouth, and we say God broke his commandments and doesn't want us to keep them anymore, what are we calling God? A liar. So Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. My English here says repent, but it's not repent. It's change his mind. When God says, thou shalt not commit murder, is he later going to say, you know what? I'd like you to commit some murder. How about that? The answer is no. He will not do that. What happened in 1 Kings chapter 13 to the prophet who thought God would change his commandment? He got eaten by or killed by a lion. Yeah, he got killed by a lion. What happened to the children of Israel when they call God a liar in Jeremiah chapter 5? They get eaten by a lion. Do you see the... Yeah, you do. So let's go back to... They called God a liar. When it says they acted very treacherously, it means they call God a liar. Yep, God won't judge us. He won't punish us. He didn't mean what he said in Deuteronomy 28. That was just lying. He was just threatening us. That was empty threats like we make to our kids, right? If you don't quit talking, we're going to turn this car around right now. Well, yeah. How often did we turn? <laughs> okay, back to Jeremiah 5, verse 13. Well, verse 12. We read 11, but we didn't actually read 12. They have lied about the Lord. See, they're explaining here now what they mean by having treated the Lord treacherously. And I said it means they've lied about the Lord. Here's why I said that. Because it says they've lied about the Lord. And said it is not he. Neither will evil come upon us. Nor shall we see sword or famine. Meaning God will not judge us for our sins. God will bless us anyway. God doesn't care that we break his commandments. He doesn't care that we worship other gods. Yes, he does. You notice that it said, it is is in italics, which means it's not there in the Hebrew. So it's almost like the people are saying, not God, he won't do that. Right, he won't do that. <laughs> what are you saying, Deuteronomy 20? He said, I will do that. And going, no, he won't. You know what? Yes, sir? I guess that takes me all the way back to some comments earlier about where are the people, we the people at this point, lukewarm. And I thought, oh, they're not even lukewarm anymore. They're at this point of this precipice of 
making the last decision that they can ever make in their life. I guess that's how I can put it, is that they are, have turned their backs on God. Yep, they have turned their backs on God. You're right. Why did the people believe that God would not do what God said? Because of the false prophets. That's verse 13. Just like in Matthew 7, when God says most people that think they're on the road to heaven are actually on the road to destruction because they've listened to the false prophets and false teachers. So verse 13 says, And the prophets become wind. What's that mean? They're a bag of hot air. That's exactly what he's saying. For the word is not in them. In other words, these prophets are not hearing from God. They're not speaking forth God's word. And it says, thus shall it be done to them. That judgment is coming because the false prophets tell the people that they don't need to repent. That they continue in their sins and God will bless them and love them anyway. Mm-hmm. It wasn't immediate. You know, I, I, I think about uh, when they were out in the wilderness, it, to me, it appeared that a lot of times the judgment was more immediate. Yes. God himself says in Isaiah, perhaps I delayed judgment too long. Absolutely right. But what does the Bible say about false prophets and false teachers? Let's just take an abbreviated look. It says a lot. <laughs> no. Go to Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 31. We're not going to hit all of them. Time wouldn't permit it. But Jeremiah 5, 31 says, The prophets prophesy falsely, and their priests rule by their own power, meaning not following God's commandments. They're ruling over the people like kings by their own power. It says, and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? So why did the people follow the false prophets? Because they wanted to. They liked it. Their ears were being tickled. Go to Jeremiah 14, 14. That one was Jeremiah 5, 31. Oh, you were in the wrong chapter. Okay, maybe that's why it didn't say what I said it said. Okay. <laughs> Jeremiah 14, 14, not Jeremiah 28. You can't add them together. Jeremiah 14, 14. And the Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their hearts. Lamentations chapter 2. Jeremiah also wrote Lamentations, didn't he? So it'll come shortly after the end of Jeremiah. Lamentations chapter 2, verse 14. Yeah. They just they go, you know, as fast as their legs will take them. Just yep. that false gospel. 
Yeah, like I said, we're only going to hit one here or there because, yep, the false prophets, they are not going slowly. They are running to take their false message. Verse 14, your prophets. Notice it says your prophets, not my prophets. Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not uncovered your iquity. What does iniquity mean? Lawlessness. So what would a true prophet do? Would uncover the lawlessness and call people to repent. But they don't call you to repent. It says to bring back your captives, but have envisioned for you false prophecies and delusions. Go to... Yeah? Is it Timothy that says all these things are written for your learning? Somebody said that. We're reading a, a caution to us today to look at the false prophets that are all through the church and to be smart enough to realize that when we test them, they fail, and not to follow them. Correct. But we have lots of people who follow them. Yep. That we're talking today. Not talking last month or ten years ago. We're talking today. Yep. And God God from Genesis one knew what was happening till the end of Revelation. Right. God is not trapped in time. None of this has surprised God. Nope. But he tells them what they're gonna do. And to me, it just seems it's in the, in the expectation that some will be wise enough from hearing them to observe and turn away from the falseness and the evil. So I mean, it kind of staggers you to read these things. But really, if through the centuries, if people read this and took caution against it, they could stand before God and say, I didn't do that. Yep. That's why we're looking at all these different places. Yes, ma'am. So if uh, God sent other countries to take them over, and we're doing the same thing, who's going to take us over? <laughs> well, right now it's, it's a toss-up between China, Russia, and North Korea. We'll have to see who gets here first. And the aliens. Okay. Yeah. But Ezekiel chapter 22, I'm just hitting a few of the places where the Bible warns us about false prophets and false teachers, and we're going to not stop when we hit the New Testament. The Lord has warned us himself over and over again not to listen to the false teachers and how to tell a false teacher from a true teacher. And in the book of Acts, it warns us to be Bereans, to take what we're taught and go to the word of God and see if it's true. Don't believe a preacher just because he's a preacher. That's right. I would like to say every preacher knows every word in the Bible backwards and forwards, but it's not so. I've told you about the preacher that I talked to in Nebraska where I said, let's go to the book of Matthew. He didn't know if that was in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Yeah. He said, yeah. we study something else here. <laughs> Ezekiel 22, verse 28. <clears throat> Notice we've gone from Jeremiah and out in Lamentations to Ezekiel, a different prophet. 
But the message is the same, Ezekiel twenty-two twenty-eight. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. Do these false prophets ever call the people to repentance? The answer is no. Their message is always that God will love you and bless you despite your sin. Let's go to Matthew. Like I said, we won't stop when we get to the New Testament. Matthew, let's go to some red words. Matthew chapter 7. After distinguishing between the broad way that leads to destruction, what is that destruction? Talking about the lake of fire. But these people thought they were believers. And verse 14 is about the narrow way, the way that leads to eternal life. Let me ask you this, pop question. If you had gone up to the scribes and Pharisees in Messiah's day and saying, are you on the road to eternal life or to the lake of fire, what would they have told you? That they're absolutely on the way to eternal life. No doubt about it. But verse 15 says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. What does sheep's clothing mean? What do they pretend to be? They pretend to be believers. They pretend to be preachers leading you to eternal life. But inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Do they know they're ravenous wolves? No, no more than the scribes and the Pharisees knew they were. They think they're sheep. They think that they're shepherds. But their appetites give them away. Yeah. Okay, let's go to the next one. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew, yes, sir. I was talking about earlier, you know, how Jeremiah talks about, you know, I didn't send them, but they ran. Yeah. You know, think about in this day and age of instant information, how much that false message disseminates through internet and through all Oh, yeah. That. And, you know, when you go and you do just a simple Google search of is the law abolished, it isn't people out in the world that, you know, people that, you know, live in the world, they don't even they consider, they don't consider <laughs> the way to God. It's always churches or church groups or church organizations, people that claim to be believers right. that are pushing forth that lawless message of, yeah, the law is abolished. You don't have to keep it. You only have to keep one commandment, yada, yada, yada. Yep. Yada. And the list just goes on and on and on. Yep. So let's look at Matthew chapter 24, which is about... The tribulation period, which is time just ahead of us. So we're not talking ancient history. We're talking about just a little while in the future. Matthew 24, verse 11. says, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And look at verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, love of many will grow cold. Do you notice that the false prophets immediately proceed the lawlessness. What are those false prophets teaching? Daniel chapter 7 verse 25. To abolish, to break the appointed times of God and his commandments, his Torah. But, oh, I'm, I forgot. Romans 10 4 says the law has been abolished. Well, ah, it doesn't say that, does it? Let's go to Romans 10. 
I assure you, when I was growing up, I was told it meant that. But it says, for Messiah is the goal or purpose of the law, for the purpose of righteousness to everyone who believes. Messiah didn't end the law. He's the goal of the law. Hmm. goes back to Romans 3.31 which says, does our faith make the law void? It upholds it. Faith in Messiah is the goal. That is correct. The saints of Revelation 14.12 who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua, they're not incompatible. They're hand in glove. Go back to Matthew 24 for a minute. The word end there in Greek is telos. The word in, in Greek for end, which means termination, is teleo. It's a different word. Telos, which is the word used, which means goal. Think of a telescope. Does a telescope end your vision? Or does it allow you to see the goal, to see what you're looking at? The same with some of our laws. The speed limit, 55... Okay, the goal is for me to go 55. Now, if I've done it once, I don't ever have to do it again. That's the other teleo. That's saying, okay, do it, do it one time and forget about it. But the law says it's the telos. That's your goal. You want to go 55. You may go a little below it, a little below it, but that's, it's not the end of it just because you did it one time. Correct. Let's Take just a brief Ibex trail and look at where in Matthew. Let's go back to Matthew. Early in Matthew. In chapter 3, that really is earlier in Matthew, isn't it? Chapter 3, verse 15. They take and translate the same word many different ways, and then they translate many different words as if it was the same. In Matthew 3, 15, it says, But Yeshua permitted... Answer, I'm sorry, and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Did all righteousness cease to exist when Messiah was baptized? No. No. Okay. But I'm getting off track. Go to Matthew 24. I'm too easily sidetracked. Matthew 24. We looked at verse 11, but let's look at verse 24. So Matthew 24, 24. This is what characterizes the tribulation period. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. What does the false prophet do in Revelation chapter 13 but call down fire from heaven 
to prove that the false Messiah is the true Messiah. Did God warn us in Deuteronomy 13 that he will allow false prophets to do great sounds like that to test us? To test us for what purpose did it say? Let's go back to Deuteronomy 13. Will you follow my commandments or not? So the false prophet and false messiah are trying to teach people to quit following God's commandments. That's just what they want to hear. Yep. So Deuteronomy 13, starting in verse 1. After telling us in the verse before, whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. If there rises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, just think right here, the false prophet of Revelation 13. It gives you a sign or a wonder. Yes, he's going to call down fire from heaven. And the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods, which means... To follow after something other than God's commandments, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. So verse 3, you cannot love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, while you follow the commandments of a false God. Go to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13 is kind of redundant, but I just wanted to show it's in more than one gospel, the warning is. Who wrote the gospel of Mark? It's a trick question. Mark did. Yeah. Was Mark an apostle of Messiah? No. So whose message is Peter's message? Mark was a scribe recording what Peter taught. So in Mark 13:22 Mark 13 verse 22 For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So it's not just Matthew who recorded it. It was important enough that the other Gospels recorded it too. And let's go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. Yep. Go ahead. If Mark was the scribe for Peter, why is Mark clear up here and stuck back there with the first and second Peter? Because the Catholic Church put the books in the order they wanted them. She asked, why if Mark was writing down what Peter was teaching, why is it next to Matthew instead of up here with Peter? And my answer was because the Catholic Church determined the orders of the books. The gospel also is more like the story of Messiah versus first and second Peter or Peter's own instructions to the body after Messiah has 
Okay, but it doesn't matter why they put it up there. She was just wanting to know why it's not there. But they really do read. The Greek is, is even very different. So it, Mark may not have been the person who transcribed first and second Peter, but he was the person that transcribed the book of Mark. Okay. Peter. So he took Peter's teachings and expressed them maybe in Greek. Where Peter, it really reads differently to me. It, it, I, I really like Peter's writings better in a sense, but it's almost like Mark is, is translating what Peter is telling him about the life of the Messiah in the book of Mark. I, I don't know, it's just but you can really pick up the difference in the thinking going on. So it's, it's almost like he had a, a different person, or Peter wrote in Hebrew, he wrote first and second Peter himself, where Mark actually wrote the story of the birth and so forth. All right. When we get to heaven, we'll watch the videotapes. I, I want to see those tapes. <laughs> Second Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Peter, Paul, James, John, they all warned about the false teachers. But there were also false prophets among the people, meaning back in the Old Testament days. Even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. What is truth? Torah. Torah. Psalm 119, verse 142. So the false teachers are teaching people not to follow God's commandments. In Revelation chapter 2, those people are called Nicolaitans, and their doctrine was called antinomianism, which means stop keeping God's commandments. And let's go to 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. John writes after the other apostles have died, and John gets to see the fledgling church go off the rails. And he's trying to put them back on the rails. Somebody ought to paint a picture of John next to a freight train trying to put it back up on the tracks. Because that's what he was trying to do. And 1 John 4.1, just as Doc said a few minutes ago, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. By that he means every teacher. But test the spirits. Jokamatsu. What's it mean? Just test it to see if it's pure. Does it match the scripture or doesn't it? Whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And let's look at Revelation 2 as we end this topic. Verse 6. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Notice he doesn't say here, I hate the doctrine. He says, I hate the deeds. 
What did Messiah tell us in Matthew chapter 7 to look at to determine whether a teacher is true or false? Look at what they do. So are the Nicolaitans following God's commandments? They are not. And then the next time you see the Nicolaitans is in verse 15. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So the first thing he points out is their deeds. That should be the sign we don't want to follow them. And then he gets very specific. Their doctrine I hate. According to 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, what should our doctrine be based upon? The commandments of men or the word of God? All right, let's get back to Jeremiah. Chapter 5, verse 14. God's now going to talk to the false prophets. Therefore, thus says the Lord, God of hosts. What does the word hosts mean? Is that like the guy who leads a game show? No means the armies of heaven. So whenever you see the phrase to the, of the Lord of hosts or the God of hosts, is judgment about to fall? Judgment's about to fall. Because you speak this word, which word? That God will not allow judgment to fall on us. He loves us too much. We're his special children. We're Abraham's descendants. We're circumcised. Because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire. What's fire? Judgment. And this people would, it shall devour them. This false teaching of the false prophets will bring God's judgment and cause the people to be destroyed, cast into the fire. As so many people say, but God would not hold people responsible for sins they committed by listening to false teachers. Because it's not their fault. What does the Bible say? And this people would, and it shall devour them. The, pro the false prophets are keeping the people from repenting. They teach them there is no need to repent. Just like those false teachers of today that Daniel and I keep referring to where they say literally in writing that if you repent, that is an act. It's a deed. Then you're trying to be saved by works. It's a work. So therefore you don't repent. You can't repent. You've got to keep sinning so that you show God your faith. Is that true doctrine? That is not true doctrine. Then those words tie right back to verse 7. How shall I pardon you for this? If you don't repent, like God is waiting for the repentance, but if it never comes because the false teachers are saying, hey, you don't have to do that, that's a work. God will love you anyway. Yeah. The people are destroyed because they do not repent. They do not repent because the false prophets tell them not to repent. And come judgment day, do you think those false prophets are going to be standing there saying, yep, that's right, Lord, it's my fault? No. 
My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The scriptures say you have to repent, but God never mentions repentance in the New Testament, does he? About 60 times. Yeah, that's all. But if he said it 61, no. But it doesn't matter because he gave us Deuteronomy and he calls that the commandment. You know, when you narrow it down, God has given us everything we need. Yeah. And if we reject that, if we reject everything we need, what are we going to say when we stand before it? That's why I encourage people sometimes to stand before the bathroom mirror and practice your speech that you're going to give to Messiah. Lord, I didn't keep the commandments because. And practice it until you convince yourself. Nope. Verse 14. Therefore, thus says the Lord... The God of hosts. Because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. Uh, verse 15 Behold, I will bring a nation against you from afar. This is literally talking about Babylon. Yeah. Behold, I'll bring a nation against you from afar, O house of Israel, says the Lord. It is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. Wayne, is that prophetic for us too? That's prophetic for us too. Will judgment come? Judgment will come. But which verse in Deuteronomy 28 says, I'll send you into captivity, you and the king whom you set over you? That's Deuteronomy 28, verse 36. Let's go back and look. So God says, I told you I was going to do it. Here it comes. And yet he's still going to give the people another opportunity to repent. Will they do it? No. Deuteronomy 28, verse 36. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known and there you shall serve other gods, wood, and stone. It is so significant that God uses Babylon to bring this judgment upon Judah. For where did Abraham get called out of? But out of Babylon. To leave those pagan gods behind and come worship the true living God. That's what the word Hebrew means. It comes from the verb to cross over. Crossed over from pagan idolatry to the worship of the true living God. And when his descendants say, no, we'd rather serve the other gods, he says, fine, go home. Go back. If that's what you want, go back. Don't let the door hit you. Verse 16, their quiver is like an open tomb. They are all mighty men. Which means they're great warriors who kill with ease. Back then, bows were not made out of wood. They were made out of bronze. And the arrows would penetrate armor. And those archers, they knew their job. And they killed with ease. 
So when I say their quiver, that's the basket where you carry the arrows in that you shoot. So it's like saying, when the arrow's coming, go dig your tomb. Verse 17, and they shall eat up your harvest and your bread. All that hard work you put into growing the crops are going to feed the invading armies. Which your sons and daughters should eat. They shall eat up your flocks and your herds. They shall eat up your vines and your fig trees. They shall destroy your fortified cities in which you trust with the sword. God gave them this land. God gave them this produce. And what the Lord gives, he can take away. Would God ever do this if the people were faithful to him? Never. Did God walk away from them or did they walk away from God? How did they walk away from God? If you forget me by keeping, yeah, by not keeping my commandments, by keeping the commandments of others. Verse 18, nevertheless, in those days, says the Lord, I will not make a complete end of you. How many nations were totally and completely destroyed in their homeland and yet restored back to their homeland to be a people? Just Israel. Just Israel. And that took a long time. That took a long time. But God promised that a remnant would return. After Babylon, there were two stages of the Israelites returning to the land. Under Ezra, they came and rebuilt the temple. Then later, under Nehemiah, they came and rebuilt the city and the city walls. And they dwelt in that land then until 70 AD or so, when the final destruction in the world's eyes began, was completed in about 135 AD or common era at the Bar Kokhba Rebellion. But then Israel was without a homeland for almost 2,000 years. Some of you were born before Israel became a nation again. And some of you are going, what, what, it was, was not a nation? Yeah, it was not a nation for almost 2,000 years. Hosea chapter 5 and 6, right? But God promised that a remnant would return and a remnant did return. A remnant has returned today once more. But most of the children of Israel have not yet returned. If you were to be able to DNA test all the Jewish people in Israel, you're going to find that it's predominantly Judah. What about the other tribes? They're lost at the moment, but when Messiah returns, they get regathered in too. And the scripture says Jerusalem's going to have to keep expanding its gates. It didn't know it had this many children. In, in uh, the book of Acts. In the book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost came. When the Shavuot came. It says that devout Jews were there from. It says devout Jews and proselytes were there from every nation of the world. Wouldn't that be from all the tribes? No, when it says Jews, it's referring to those from Judah. Really? Yeah. You don't see the word Jew in the Bible until Judah separates from Israel. And in most all the cases, it's referring to those from Judah. 
But then we know that Benjamin was around because Paul was around, and we figure the others were probably around. Too. There, there were some remnants yeah, that were already living in the uh, in Judah at the time of the dedication of Messiah. There was somebody from the tribe of Asher, yeah. but were they all there, or was there a representative? Very small representative. Very small representative. And we have come to the end of our time, so we'll have to pick up next week, Lord willing, in Jeremiah chapter five, verse nineteen.